Good morning. Wasn't that a beautiful song? You know, heaven's going to have a room with a view. We're going to have a mansion. And that's pretty good because when you make a reservation sometimes for the hotels, they say, do you want the garden view or do you want the ocean view? Over in Hawaii, right? They have the garden view or the ocean view. We want the Jesus view. We want to see our Savior. If we have a mansion in heaven, we want to be right near our Savior, and we will be. But there's just one catch. There's just one thing about it. You've got to make your reservation ahead of time. You've got to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior now so that you'll have your reservation waiting for you in heaven. Nobody wants to get to a hotel and for the, the clerk there, I'm sorry, we're all booked up. We didn't hear from you and we don't have a room. Sorry. No. You want to get to heaven and you want to be welcomed through those pearly gates and to walk in and see the Lord Jesus Christ, see all our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the Revelation Seminar is all about, that we would know what's going to happen and we'll be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. And all it takes is not picking up a phone or going on the internet. No, just a prayer to our Father in Jesus' name. Jesus Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I repent of my sin. I ask you to, to take me as your child. Forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life. I believe that you died for my sins on that cross. And when we accept him like that, we got the reservation made. And nobody can cancel it. Nobody can blot out your name from the book of life once you're saved. And that's the key, is to make that decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as you go through life, one of the things you don't want to have happen in life is you don't want to waste your time. You don't want to waste your effort. You don't want to waste your resources in life. It's a really bad feeling when you go through some time and you say, that was just a waste of time. That just wasted everything. It just threw my day off completely. But you know, there are times in life where we waste, we waste time, we waste energy, we waste resources, but Anytime we do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ, any sacrifice we make for him in serving him is not a waste. It's not a waste. And it's amazing because when Jim got up and shared at the breaking of bread this morning, he was talking about the sacrifice that Christ made for us and when he went through and how he died for us. And I'm thinking, that's going along with the message today. And then we read the card, and Heather wrote it for Adel and Sylvia, and the life of sacrifice they've made, and, and how they're living a life worthy of the Lord. And I said, that's going along with the message as well. Today we're going to talk about the topic. The title of the message is, Count the Cost, Pay the Price. Count the Cost, Pay the Price. You know, if something is very costly, 
and you have, to, you, have to get, you have to think about it. Is it worth for me to buy it? Is it worth for me to invest in it? And you make a decision, yes, you count the cost, you pay the price. And a lot of times, you get what you pay for in life. If you buy something that's of good quality and it's a, it's a good value, it may cost you more, but it's going to last you. It's going to be something that's going to be kept for years and years. Or you can buy something cheap, something inexpensive, and what happens? Kalina, what happens to it? It might break. It might fall apart. It's not going to work properly. It's not a good value. You may have paid a little bit for it and thought you got a good deal, but it's not a really good value. But when you invest your life in Jesus Christ and you invest yourself in the cause of Christ in this world, you're not wasting your time. Not one minute. It's not a waste. It's worthwhile because he is worthy of it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. God wants to reward everything we do for our Savior and he's going to reward us. Here on earth, we may get some reward for it, but we're going to get even more rewards when we get to heaven. And Sylvia is going to be talking in a couple of weeks or so about the judgment seat of Christ and how we receive rewards for what he has done for us. Well, today we're going to look at another lady from the Bible. I've spoken on several of these ladies from the Bible and the men as well, but I really like this one so much because her name is Mary of Bethany. She was a great friend of the Lord Jesus, along with her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus. They lived in a house in Bethany. And whenever Jesus came into Jerusalem, which was not far from Bethany, he would come and visit in their home. And they loved him. And they entertained him. And we know from the scriptures that Martha served and, and Lazarus reclined at table with him. And, and Mary, she sat at his feet. And she listened to his word, and she worshiped the Lord. And we're going to look today at the life that really counts when we count the cost and pay the price. That's exactly what she did. If you turn in your Bibles, or you'll see it on the screen, to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 is a very similar and parallel passage to John chapter 12, but we're going to look at this one. She's not named here, but we know... Uh, many Bible scholars agree that this is the same person because it's so similar to it. There were at least two women in the scriptures that anointed the Lord Jesus. Mary, and then there was an unnamed woman in Luke chapter 7. But she was an immoral woman, so we know it's not the same person, different context. But here we see in the 14th chapter of Mark the wonderful story of what she did. Let's, let's take up the reading at verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table. A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but you do not have, always have me. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done 
will also be told as a memorial to her. May God bless the reading of his word. Shall we just pray? Father, we pray today that the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. We pray for those who do not know you as Lord and Savior, that they will come to you today. We pray, Lord, for all those who do know the Lord, that they will be challenged, that all of us will be challenged to live a life of sacrifice and devotion and love and service for you. Lord, just please speak to us. Please hide me behind the cross. May the words that are spoken today be your words, and may they have the power of the Holy Spirit behind them. Please hide me behind the cross, Lord, and just speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, it's a wonderful passage. And whenever you look at the gospel records, whenever Jesus presented himself to people, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't make it sound easy, the Christian life. He never did. In fact, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, notice what the Lord Jesus spells out, the kind of life, the sacrificial life of serving the Lord is not going to be an easy one. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, if that wasn't straight down the middle, I mean, he put it right there. This, if you want to follow me, this is the life it's going to take. It's going to be a life of sacrifice. It's going to be a life of devotion. It's going to be a life of service. And you're going to have to give certain things up. You're going to have to walk in my will and do things my way. And he spelled it out very clearly. There's a price to pay. And so we count the cost and we pay the price. And that's what he wants us to do in our life. And that was really Mary's story. And I think if you had Mary's song, we've already heard Mary's song this morning, haven't we? Everything, everything, all that I am, everything, everything, all that I own, everything, everything, all that I love, that is the price I must pay. And then he answers, and that is the price I will pay. You know, we're not going to ask you to sign a card or a pledge or make a vow to the Lord to give Him everything, but in your heart today, if that's what you want to do, make that commitment that I'm going to give you, Lord Jesus, everything. I'm going to pour it out, everything that I have, just like Mary. And to be like that is such a blessing, and that's the kind of life He wants us to live. So we're going to look at four things this morning from this passage. Number one, the cost. And it's very important, the cost. Number two, the criticism that she received. Number three, the commendation that she received from the Lord. And finally, the, com the commemoration of her life will be known ever since and has been known ever since. As you read this passage, you notice in verse 1 that we're getting close to the crucifixion. We're getting close to the time that Jesus is going to go to the cross. We're getting very close. They're going to celebrate Passover. They've gathered together. And the backdrop of this is not only that, but the Jews, the high priests, the Jewish religious leaders are plotting how they're going to kill Jesus. So all this is going on. And on the top of that, the disciples are having a little discussion. I was talking to Adel about this yesterday. With all these things happening with her and with all these things happening with the Jews and everything and what Judas was going to do and all that. The disciples are saying, which one is greatest in the kingdom? I mean, they're thinking of themselves, right? Which one of us is greatest in the kingdom? You know, is it Peter? Is it John? Is it, who is it, Andrew? 
they're thinking about the wrong thing. Their, their minds aren't on the cross. Their minds are not on Christ. They're on, on themselves. And so sometimes in our lives we get that way. We can get so focused on what we're doing, what we have to do, what trials we're going through, our, our suffering, and we don't realize how much we have to do for the Lord. And when we start doing things for Him and yielding our life to Him, we find that He brings everything together in our lives. He takes care of all the rest. And so may the Lord encourage us to be like Mary. And as I mentioned in the scriptures, it says in, John, in Luke chapter 10, and starting in verse 39, it talks about the, the situation one day where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were there and Jesus was there. And Martha was very busy serving, and, and she came to Jesus and said, Lord, please tell my sister to help me. I'm so busy. I'm so doing so many things. I'm doing the cooking. I'm doing the cleaning. I'm doing the vacuuming, right? All the things we do. I've had to do all the laundry. And, and, and all she's doing, Lord, is sitting at your feet listening to your word. That's all she's doing. Tell her to help me. He said, Martha. I, I mean, you can just imagine the Lord looked at her with a little smile on his face. It's Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about so many things. And I appreciate what you're doing here. But Mary, she's chosen the better part, which shall not be taken away from her. And that better part was to sit at Jesus' feet, to listen to his word. He did not put Mary down then, and he's not going to put her down in this passage either. He appreciated her love, her sacrifice, her devotion, and he commended it. And that's the wonderful thing about it. Yes, in John chapter 12, we see her name is mentioned and what she did there. And here in, in Mark chapter 14, her name isn't mentioned, but she was there in the home of Simon the leper. So you say, now wait a minute, I'm not understanding that when I first studied this, I started asking myself, not this time, but before in the past, how could Jesus go in when there's a leper there? I mean, how could all the people, it's very contagious disease, how, how could all the people go into the house of somebody who is called Simon the leper? Well, as I studied it and thought about it and read on the commentaries, most likely Simon the leper was saved by Jesus. He was cured of his leprosy. He was cleansed of his leprosy. And he invited all these people over to his house at that time. And so at that time, she comes in and very quietly, without saying a word, takes this perfume that she had saved up all her life. Very expensive oil of spikenard perfume to pour out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine if you were there and you're all talking and talking to Jesus, talking to each other, they're all there in the house, and all of a sudden somebody walks in and opens up this, this vial of very costly perfume and pours it out on Jesus and, and, and in loving worship, and all of a sudden, what's that smell? Hmm, that's beautiful. What is that? She gave this perfume. And commentators will tell us, Bible scholars will tell us, that most likely she had saved up this perfume for her wedding day. And she was single at this point. We don't read she had a husband. So she's saving this for her very special day. And she thought to herself, I may never get married, or I may get married, but I have a chance 
to do something for Jesus today that I want to do. It's costly. It's going to cost me so much. And we see the price here is revealed in this chapter. Three, it was worth 300 denarii, which means about a year's worth of wages. A year's worth of wages. Because they used to pay them a denarius a day. That was the common worker's salary in those days. And when you think about it, she was willing to give a year's worth for the Lord. She was willing to take that perfume that she was saving up and break it open. And she could have thought, well, you know, there's a pretty full bottle of this perfume. Maybe I'll just take some of it. I'll, I'll keep some for myself, and then I'll anoint Jesus with it, and I'll still have a little bit left. Would that have worked for her? No. It had to be everything. It had to be everything. It had to be all of it. And that's what the Lord expects from us. He wants all of it, all of our hearts, all of our devotion, all of our dedication, all of our service. We have to count the cost and then be willing to pay the price. She counted the cost. She knew how much it was worth. It didn't take her by surprise. And yet she did it. She gave it. She poured it out for the Lord. How many of us would be willing to take one year's salary? I mean, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask but can you imagine if you make 50000 a year, 70000 80000 whatever it is, and take that money and say, I'm going to give all of that? How many of us would be willing to do that? It's amazing. I was reading the story about this lady that came to the pastor. And she's a very wealthy lady in the church. And they were doing a special building project. And so she came and she said, I'd like to help pastor with a $150 check. Okay, he said... He said, okay, let's call her Gertrude, because we don't have anybody by the name of Gertrude, right? Okay. Her name's Gertrude. Gertrude, if that represents a sacrifice to you, please give me that check. She took that check, and she was angry, and she went out. So she comes back. Okay. Next time she comes back, I'm going to give a check for $500. $500. Pastor, I'm going to give you a check. For $500. Gertrude, that's great. And we really appreciate it. And if that represents a sacrifice to you, <clears throat> great. She got so angry again. She took the check back and she went out and she is mad. But she's saved. She's a true believer. She knows the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she went home and the Holy Spirit convicted her big time. So now she comes back. She hands an envelope to the pastor, and she says, Pastor, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I got convicted, and I'm giving you this check. I'm, here it is. Here's the envelope. So the pastor says, thank you very much. He opens the check, and in that check is $50,000. Because, you see, it represented a sacrifice now. Now it represented a sacrifice. Before, it was, here's a little bit. Take this, you know. The pastor knew how much, you know, she had. And the Lord knows how much we have. And he knows our hearts. And he knows he wants us to give everything. We may not have a lot, but what we do have, we give to him. We put it on the altar. We say, Lord, I want to give this to you. I want to give you my time. I want to give you my effort. I want to give you my service. Yesterday, you weren't here at the church like I was, but you got, I got to see about 
six men, I believe there were six of them, that got up on that roof and were working all day long to fix it so that we won't have the leaks. Because we couldn't have the meeting, right, last week? Because we had some leaks, some things were, had to be repaired. And these men, and I'm not going to mention their names because their names are in heaven. They worked here yesterday, and they did the job. And they, it's amazing. But it's not just that. It's whatever we do for the Lord. If we give, him it, give it all to him with the right motives, we're going to be like Mary. And the Lord is going to accept it, and he is going to be pleased by it. And that's what he wants. He wants us to give him everything. You know, there was a story, and it's kind of a humorous story, but it really reflects on what it says. But before I tell you the story, someone once said, the giver reflects the receiver, the giver for a heart of generosity and the love of the receiver for being so special to the giver. You know, if you love somebody so much, you want to give them a good gift, don't you? If you love somebody really a lot, you want to give them the best gift, whether it's a Christmas gift, a birthday gift, an anniversary gift. You want to put some thought into it, right? Well, something happened along those lines for a man named, we'll call him, uh, well, his name was William. And so his name was William, and he stopped at an intersection on his way home from work, and there was a street vendor selling roses for $10 a dozen. $10 a dozen. So he said, great. You know, my wife will love this. And you know, I love a bargain, and that sounds great, right? Ten full roses for ten, uh, 12 full roses for $10. That's, that's a good deal. So he said, okay. So he took his $10, he reached it out the window. He was stopped at the intersection. He reaches it out the window, and the street vendor takes the $10, and he hands them the roses. And so when he gets the roses, he notices that these roses are a little bit wilted. I mean, they're a little bit wilted, and then when he looks a little bit closer at those roses, he notices that, well, they're a little bit on the old side because they've been spray-painted to make them look good. Oh, boy. oh boy. William, William. <clears throat> that wasn't a good uh, start here. Okay, so now the traffic light changes. He puts the roses on the seat next to him, and he thinks, boy, you know, my, this is a good deed I've given for my wife, and I can't wait. So he gets home, and he presents the roses to her and watches in dismay as she forced a slight smile. Her face froze as he described what he had paid for the roses. She went on to explain that his sense of sacrifice was equally important as his desire. Spray-painted roses did not exactly make her feel appreciated or admired. William learned his lesson. And sometimes in life we learn our lesson, don't we? You, you, that's one thing you want to put on your... Don't do it that way. Get the good roses, right? When you give something to somebody, it's going to reflect on you, and it's going to reflect on how much you love that person. And when Mary gave her perfume, she gave the best. She gave it all. And the Lord wants us to give him the best. He doesn't want to give us to give the leftovers of our life, and sometimes we do. And sometimes we give the second best things in our life. We don't give him the best. He wants us to give the best that we have for him. And that's what she did. You know, and when you think about the cost, the cost and the price, count the cost, pay the price. There's some examples in Scripture of people that did that. Abraham, it cost him yielding his son, although the Lord didn't require his son, but he required his son, the Lord Jesus, 
to die. It cost Daniel to be cast into the lion's den. That was the cost for Daniel. It cost Stephen death by stoning. It cost Paul being beheaded. It cost Peter being crucified upside down. It cost Jesus dying on the cross as we saw visually portrayed in that movie recently. The question is, does it cost you anything? Does your Christianity cost you anything? Does my Christianity cost me anything? Or am I just kind of like going along, tending church, going through the motions, or do we give all? Do we give it all? Do we say, Lord, you're worth it? You know, they have that commercial on TV for L'Oreal. I kind of like it. It's true. There's a lady and she says, L'Oreal, you know, because I'm worth it. Well, whether she's worth it or not, we know Jesus is worth it. And we want to give him the best. Can you imagine presenting something to the Lord like that? Can you imagine if they served him a meal over at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house that was left over from a day or two before, that was all kind of dry and didn't taste good? No. If Jesus comes to your house, you want to give a good meal. You want to present a really good one. Or whatever we give, we should give him the best. Someone said the believer's talents are not to be laid up for self, but laid out in service for the Lord. You know, sometimes we sing that song on Sunday morning, Lead Me to Calvary. Well, one of the verses of that song says, Let me like Mary through the gloom come with a gift to thee. Show to me now the empty tomb. Lead me to Calvary. And I can just imagine that fragrance lasted too. It was not like the perfumes we have today. It was probably that oil of spikenard. It had that beautiful fragrance that would last. It was on Jesus. It was on, in the room. And it brought such joy to our Savior. Okay, wasn't that a great act of devotion? And love and sacrifice and service, right? Well, the very first words out of the people's mouth was not praise God for Mary. Praise God, she poured out this wonderful perfume. She'd been keeping it all this time. Praise God, let's, let's you know, give her credit for this. This was a great thing. Notice what the people say here. I mean, this is unbelievable, but this shows human nature. Verse 4, But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her. Sharply. Another word for criticism here is scolded her. They scolded her. Can you imagine? And we see that today sometimes. Even among Christians, one Christian can criticize another Christian. There's criticism. We know there's criticism for the world. And anytime we do something for the Lord and we go all out and give him everything, there's going to be those who are going to be happy and they're going to praise God, but there's also the critics. They're the critics, they're the critiques. They're the ones who are never seem to be happy and satisfied with, with the things of God. We've seen it over the years. We used to have people in our church. Praise God we don't have, have people like that now. I thank God for that. But we used to have critiques. We had critics. We had people that were never happy. They were ne they'd always criticize. They would all, uh, whether it's a message or they'd criticize the way we do things or whatever. That's not what Christianity is all about. Take your criticism and turn it into something constructive, encouraging, and say, okay, I want to give myself to the service of the Lord. I want to help out. I want to give all.
But sometimes there's going to be people that are going to criticize, and they're usually the carnal ones. You know, Moses had to go through that in the desert because here they were, they had just come out of the Red Sea, and the first thing they do was not praise God, but they, they grumbled and complained. We don't have any water to drink. We have no food to eat. We're going to die, and all our kids are going to die. And complaint, complaint, complaint. Moses probably had to have hours for the complaint department and it had to stay open overtime because they were always complaining and complaining and criticizing Moses. Can you imagine criticizing Moses? It says Moses was the greatest leader of the world as ever known and it says he was the meekest man on the face of the earth and they still criticized Moses? They criticized Paul. They criticized Adel and Sylvia. They criticized us. But that's good. That means we're doing something good for the Lord when they criticize you. Because the people, you have to look, consider the source, right? Who's doing the criticizing? And do we care what they think? No, we care what the Lord thinks. We care what the godly think, the righteous think. That's what's really most important. And you know, if you live your life to avoid criticism, you'll never do anything good. Someone once said this, Criticism can be avoided by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. You're guaranteed to never get criticized because you never say anything, you never do anything, and you never accomplish anything or be anything. But if you desire to be a godly Christian, the Bible says you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to be criticized. And so the Lord wants us to live our lives to please Him. There's a humorous story. It's actually an old Aesop fable that tells this story very clearly. One day there was a grandfather and his grandson that were making their way into town on a donkey. The young boy was riding while his grandfather walked along beside. All of a sudden one man muttered, Look at that. That little boy is so self-centered, making his grandfather walk criticized him. So they traded places, right? They traded places, and so now another shouted out, I can't believe you're making that little boy walk. He's so young. So they both mounted the donkey at the same time. So now they're both riding the donkey, right? And then this crit critic comes along and he says, I can't believe your incredible disrespect and cruelty toward the donkey in making him strain under the heavy weight of both of you. So they both walked into town carrying the donkey. <laughs> oh, man. If you're going to go by what people say, that's what's going to happen. You're going to carry the donkey. You're going you're to live your life to please men, and that's not what we're supposed to do. In Ephesians, it says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. If we do God's will and sacrifice, and serve Him, and live for Him, let the critics talk. Let them say whatever they want, because we care only about what the Lord says. We care about His commendation, and that's exactly what happened next. We see in verses 6 to 9, now we hear the rest of the story. What does the Lord think about what she did? What is His opinion? We heard the critics, we heard, and we know from the Scripture that it, the one main one who was doing this criticizing was Judas, Judas Iscariot. He gave treasurers a bad name. I don't know if you know I'm the treasurer of the church, and I, I don't like Judas because what Judas would do is he would he'd be in charge of the money box, right? And, and 
he would take money. So he says, yeah, let's give it to the poor. We need to collect more for the poor. More for me. More for the poor. Why didn't this money get, this 300 denarii, this would be great. We could use it in all our gospel outreach programs throughout Samaria and Galilee and all, uh, Jerusalem. All More for me. And so that's what he did. He would steal out of the money box, thinking Jesus didn't know, right? Jesus knew exactly what he was about, knew exactly what he was doing, and exactly the fact that in just a very few short days here, he's going to betray the Lord into the hands of men. And so now let's hear what Jesus has to say. The Lord does not rebuke her for what she did. He does not say, yeah, you guys are right. This could have been used for the poor. Listen to what he says. He says, leave her alone. She has done a good work for me. Leave her alone. And I can imagine he wasn't speaking in a low voice, right? He was really letting his voice be known throughout this whole house. Leave her alone. She did a good thing for me. She has prepared my body for burial. The disciples, what were they thinking about? Who's the greatest? What were all the, the, Jews, the Jewish leaders thinking? Let's kill Jesus. What were all the other people thinking? Totally different thing. She got it. She understood that he was going to go to the cross and this was the last time that maybe she would see him on earth. Maybe it was the last time she'd have the opportunity to anoint him. And she took that opportunity. And Jesus commended her for it. He set them straight and told, her, told them what she did was a good thing. He says, For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish you may do them good, but you do not have me always. Jesus knew he was going away, and he knew she took the opportunity to do something very, very special. And so he commends her for that. The one thing that I want to hear when I get to heaven, and the one thing you want to hear when you get to heaven, is those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm sure when we get to heaven, that we're going to be rewarded for things that we forgot about totally, and we did for the Lord with good motives, and we forgot about it totally. He's going to reward us openly for those things. And then there may be things that we thought, yeah, that was really great what I did, I did, and this was really great, and people recognized me and all that. And we're going to think, I didn't get a reward for that. Why didn't I get a reward for that, Lord? Why? Because you have your reward. You did it for yourself. You did it to, be, to show out before others. And so when you, when you do that, that's like wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be burned up. May the Lord help us to be like Mary, to do it with the right motive, giving all to the Lord Jesus. In Galatians 6.10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. She had an opportunity, and she took it. Sometimes we have opportunities in life, we let them slip right through our fingers. Can you imagine how bad she would have felt if she had said, well, i got to think about this a little bit, and then the crucifixion happened, and things passed, and, and then I didn't do it. Why didn't I do it? I've got the perfume, but now I don't have the Savior to anoint it with. And so she didn't want to let that opportunity pass by. And I can imagine if she had the day of her wedding, and I can imagine, I can, let's say we take the story. We don't know what happened to her later on, but let's say that one day a gentleman from Jerusalem came by and he proposed to her and they got engaged and everything. They're going to have the wedding. You think God's going to be in debt to her? 
Just think of all these vials and flasks of perfume that are going to be given and all the things that are going to be given to her. And she's going to say, wow, Lord, I gave this one thing that was costly to me, but look how much you've given back to me. And her wedding was probably the talk of all of Bethany and all of Judea because she honored God. You know, you can't outgive God. If you think you can, tell me because you can't. When you give to the Lord a lot, he's going to give you back. He's going to bless you back, not just money. If you give your time, if you give your efforts, your talents, and, and you pour it out for the Lord, he is not going to leave himself in debt. He's going to give it back, as it says in Scripture, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And I can believe that that's exactly what happened to her in her life. I think when we get to heaven and we get a chance to meet her, it's going to be so great because she was willing to give it. She was willing to give it. I found a little poem that really speaks about people that give to the Lord or lend to the Lord. And it says this, Peter lent a boat to save him from the press. Martha lent her home with busy kindliness. One man lent a colt, another lent a room. Some threw down their garments and Joseph lent a tomb. Simon lent his strength, a cruel cross to bear. Many brought their spices, his body to prepare. What have I to lend? No boat, no house, no lands. Dwell, Lord, within my heart. I put it in thy hand. That's the thing, what you lend to the Lord. It reminds me of that story of Hannah in the Old Testament. Sometimes Adel shares that portion on Mother's Day about Hannah and so forth. And she was a wonderful lady, but she didn't have a child. And she felt so horrible. And she went to the temple and she, or to the tabernacle there in those days. And she prayed, Lord, please send me a child. Send me a son, please. And then Eli comes and he thinks she's drunk because her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. So he says, put away your wine from you, woman. And he says, no. She says, I, I'm a woman sorrowful of heart. I haven't been drinking at all. I love the Lord, but he hasn't given me a son and I'm praying for a son. She, he says, go your way. God's going to give you your request. She went home. She got pregnant and she gave birth to a son. And she had made that commitment. She had made that vow, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I'll lend him back to you. Well, you can imagine how difficult that decision was making. Lord, do you really want me to do that? He's my only son. You gave him to me. Do you really want me to do it? And I'm sure she was convicted. Yes, do it. Trust me, Hannah, do it. And so she weaned him, and then she took this little boy whose name was Samuel, and she took him back to the very priest, Eli, that had said, you're going to have your request. And can you imagine how surprised, shocked he was? This older man, he was an older man. Here he is. I'm going to put him into your care. I'm lending him to the Lord. And so he lived there in the temple. He grew up and became a tremendous prophet and priest and judge for the Lord. And one day we're going to see Samuel in heaven. And one day we're going to see Hannah in heaven. And we're going to say, we're going to be able to ask her, what was it like when you did that, Hannah? And she said, it was the best thing I ever did. And then when you read the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey says, now we know the rest of the story, you think God left her in debt with childless? Well, sorry, you, you, I gave you a son and that's what you wanted. That was your request, right? No, he gave her other sons and other daughters. He gave her a big family all because she honored God and honored her commitment to the Lord, her vow to the Lord, 
and gave him to the Lord. And every year she'd go down and she'd make him a little outfit, a little suit. I love seeing the kids. They dress up in suits and things like that. Little, little ones too, and it's so cute. Well, she had, would make a little suit for him, a little outfit, and every year she had to make it a little bigger and a little bigger because he's growing up, right? And she'd only get to see him once a year. But she loved the Lord so much. And the Lord says, Hannah, because you did that, I'm going to give you so much more back. And I'm going to bless your life so tremendously. You can't outgive God. Twice Jesus commended her. Once for sitting and listening to his word in that home that day while her sister was serving. And he commends her again. He commends her here for what she did. And not only that, but verse 9 tells us there's a commemoration. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be also told as a memorial to her. Wasn't that an amazing thing? We read it today in 2014. People have read it all through the years. People have got saved as a result of her life. They've been blessed. They've been encouraged to live lives of sacrificial service to the Lord. And one day we'll meet her in heaven and we're going to say, Mary, you gave it all. You gave everything. You taught me what it means to give. You taught me what it means to live a life of sacrificial service for the Savior. May the Lord encourage us today to not let those opportunities pass by to serve the Lord. It's not always going to be convenient. It is going to be costly. And as we said as the title of the message, count the cost, pay the price. Because Jesus said, if it's worth it, then do it. And that's why it says in the scriptures, no one after putting his hand to the plow and afterwards looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. You can't make that hesitation. You've got to put your hand to the plow and go forward. Sacrifice it. Give it. Yield it. And when we do that, he will bless us. You can't outgive the Lord. But there is a cost. Sometimes there will be criticism for our, our service and dedication to the Lord. Oh, he's too fanatical. She's too fanatical. They go to too many meetings at the church. They're always reading the Bible. They're always praying. They don't ever seem to have any fun. Let the critics criticize. Let the Lord commend. He commends us for our dedication and devotion to the Lord. And let us remember that whatever we do for him here on earth, just like he tells this, wherever this gospel is preached, it's going to be told to this woman. When we get to heaven, he's going to have the record. He's going to have the record of everything we've said, everything we've done, everything we've given, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You gave it all. You lived it. You didn't just preach it. You didn't just talk about it, but you did it. You lived it. And that's the way Mary was. And her life was a fragrance to the Lord that was spread throughout that whole place. Let's bow our heads and shall we close in a word of prayer. And if you're here today and you've never experienced the new birth, never experienced Jesus as your Savior, today is the day to do it. Don't put it off. Sylvia's been talking about it at Revelation and Adel's been mentioning, we've been sharing the good news. It is good news. And Jesus said, wherever the good news is preached, that what this woman has done will be, will be told of her and remembered and discussed. And Lord, we thank you for the life of Mary. And we pray that you will help us as believers to be thankful for the salvation that we have and so thankful that we will live our lives, not for ourselves or for this world, but we will live our lives totally for you. Dedicated, committed, sacrificial lives.
Help us to be servants, Lord. Help us not to care who gets the credit. Help us not to care who, who wins. Help us, Lord, just to be those who want to preach the good news of the gospel and live for the truth. And so we just pray you'll take us home safely today. Help us these words to sink deep into our hearts and change our lives. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Oh, thank you.